Hello and welcome to episode number 84 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and we have a whole lot of stuff to cover this week. Racism, Obamagate, and opening up the USA. Let's start with racism. There's a bunch of stories that have been hitting this week, and some are absolutely just frivolous and insane. And one that takes a little bit more investigation to understand what's really going on. The first would be Canadian rocker Brian Adams. And to be fair, I saw Brian back in the day when he was out rocking and rolling. And I saw him more recently doing an acoustic show. And I'm a fan of Brian Adams. So there's maybe a bias here. But he posted something on Instagram that got him to apologize because that's the thing we do today. If we speak out and say something we believe, and then there's backlash, we have to apologize to appease the social justice warriors out there. So we don't get removed from Instagram or the Twitters or Facebook or YouTube or any of those social media platforms. But here's what he posted that got him in so much trouble. Quoting, Tonight was supposed to be the beginning of a tenancy of gigs at the Royal Albert Hall. But thanks to some effing, bat-eating, wet-market animal-selling, virus-making, greedy bastards, the whole world is now on hold. My message to them, other than thanks a effing lot, is go vegan. Well, I don't know if I'm going vegan, no matter anything, I don't know. Nothing is quite worth that sacrifice and that hell, Brian Adams. But with that said, Brian Adams was a little upset. He was supposed to be out doing gigs, having fun. We all want to be out having fun, seeing concerts, doing things, eating in restaurants. And this is affecting Brian very emotionally, obviously. And he went on a little rant about the wet market. And that can't be because, you know, the World Health Organization is covering for China. We're not supposed to say this virus started in China, even though a vast majority of the evidence appears that that's the case. And you don't even have to get into whether it came from a lab or anything like that. So maybe you can question whether the wet markets were really at fault here. But with that said, by ranting and raving, about things that most of the world are taking as facts that this virus started in China, most likely at a wet market involving bats. Well, Brian Adams was deemed immediately that he was a racist, horrible person. And of course, he caved. Do I blame him? No, he wants a career. So that's the new world order we live in. Once you're deemed a racist online, even if there's absolutely no proof, you have to apologize. And even then, you're probably going to be ostracized for a while. But then came the Trump and the Asian reporter, which was absolutely hilarious. And uh, basically what happened was she asked him a question about, well, you're, you're saying now that we have all of these tests. And if we can go back a few weeks, the news media had been crucifying Donald Trump. And I don't even think that's an exaggeration of a word. They were crucifying Donald Trump 
on how horrible the United States was when it came to testing, having enough tests, and getting this part of the pandemic going. No question about that. You can go do your homework, and unless you were literally living under a rock, you saw the mainstream media or heard the mainstream media going after Trump because the United States didn't have enough tests. Now we have a lot of tests in the United States. Some are still saying on the left, we don't have enough. But this particular reporter who was of Asian descent, her name is Weijia Zhang, and I apologize if I'm butchering the name. I'm horrible with names. But she asked Donald Trump why all of a sudden this was a competition. Why is having all of these tests, you're, you're now out here beating your chest, President Trump, very proud of the fact that the United States has gotten ahead in testing, something that the mainstream media had been crucifying him for not doing enough. Now that that part is over, now that Trump is doing good in this particular little bit of the pandemic, they can't let that stand. So now they're asking him stupid questions like, why is it important? Why is this a competition? And his answer to the reporter was, um, I think you should go ask China that question. And of course, because she's an Asian reporter, comes back with, Mr. President, why are you asking me specifically to go ask China? Uh, because that's the answer to the question, honey. It doesn't matter that you're of Asian descent. You could have been a big, tall African-American reporter. Trump would have given you the same response. This wasn't a response motivated in any way, shape, or form by race that has been proven because he's answered that question to other people similarly. But of course, you send an Asian reporter in to ask the question and play gotcha. The mainstream media is so corrupt at this point and so worthless that they are going to be the downfall of United States of America and probably the world if people don't wake up and get this changed. But this story got legs, of course, because Orange Man bad. Even our idiotic Senator Tammy Duckworth from here in Illinois was on The View and called Trump out for his racism because of that exchange. And it's absolutely hilarious because a day later, China has been having a small flare-up of cases in Wuhan and have announced that they're going to test the 11 million residents of Wuhan over the next 10 days. So to answer the question, why is this a competition to get testing? It's to save lives, you morons. That's what you wanted. That's what you asked for for weeks when you said there weren't enough tests. The minute there are, you turn on the guy, the president of the United States, because he's saying we have enough tests. You're idiots. Anything he says or does, it becomes completely obvious that you will say the opposite. You don't give one crap about what is true. You don't give one crap about what is good for the country or for the world. You have an agenda. We get it. You're not reporters. You are not journalists. You're activists and you're liars. And they get away with it because the mainstream media as a whole is corrupt. 
There are sources out there that are off the mainstream that will actually tell you the truth, but the mainstream is not going to report on any of this stuff. And they silence everybody, no matter what. Twitter now is labeling posts as misinformation if they don't go along with what the World Health Organization says. So, again, one of the most corrupt institutions on the planet, the World Health Organization, who has been wrong about almost everything when it comes down to COVID-19. They are now the Bible when it comes to whether or not your posts are going to be either labeled as misinformation, which Twitter is now doing, or whether your posts are removed, or even worse now on Facebook. They have actually put together what they're calling a Supreme Court type body of people together. I think as the last I read, it was 20 people involved that were going to be the judge and jury to decide whether your posts should be removed, whether you should be removed from Facebook. And of the 20 people, I'm sure they're all fair and balanced up and down the line. I mean, Facebook, I'm sure totally fair. So out of 20 people, we should probably have like five really big leftists, five really big conservatives and 10 moderates, right? No, we get 20 ultra liberal people that are now going to decide whether or not the posts people make on Facebook should be able to stand. If those people should be allowed to continue to post, wake up people. You don't want to be on Facebook anymore. Find a different way to communicate with your family and friends. The censorship is a huge, huge problem. Once these people start controlling what you can and cannot say, and when they start getting to decide which news is real and which news is misinformation, well, we already see. The mainstream media is nothing but misinformation, but the WHO, the face bags, the Twitters, they all go along with what the mainstream media is saying. And it's a very scary time to be alive because this may be one of the biggest, most dangerous things that any country based upon freedom will have to face. The mainstream media is also taking a front seat in the story of Ahmad Arbery, the 25-year-old African-American guy who was shot in Georgia by two older white guys. The story is one that is intriguing to follow online and to see reactions of because people are acting like this is a black and white case. And it is certainly anything but it's being played off as, well, it's obviously racism. I'm not convinced. I mean, there may be some big misdoings going on here, but I'm not sure if it has anything to do with race. The main problem you have here is the two white guys involved in this. One of them, the older George McMichael. He was a former investigator in the Brunswick District Attorney's Office and a former police officer. So right there, beyond any kind of racial problems, I understand why you're asking the question of, was the fact that he was involved with the District Attorney's Office 
and a former police officer, is that maybe why nothing was done for a while? This case was cold for a bit until a video leaked online. And the video to me is the most intriguing part of this, but we'll get to that in a second. The story being told is that George McMichael and his son, Travis, grabbed their weapons and went off after Ahmad Arbery when they saw him running down a street, believing that he was a suspect in some series of robberies that had been going on in their neighborhood. I don't know if that is true or not, but other video has come out showing that Ahmad Arbery went into a house under construction and was just looking around and then ran out of the place. He didn't take anything, but he did go into this property for whatever reason. I don't know. Nobody seems to know, and we may never know. But it's something that's important to know in the overall series of events was that he was in this house immediately before he was chased by the two suspects. Arbery had little brushes with the law, nothing major. And to try and make the case that he was a known troublemaker or anything like that doesn't also seem to make sense. He had a 2018 conviction on a shoplifting charge and a probation violation. And back in 2012, he was arrested for bringing a gun into a school basketball game back when he was 16 years old. So obviously not a saint. But it's not like he has a rap sheet that goes on forever or anything like that. So Gregory McMichael and his son, Travis, they get the guns and they get in their truck and they go out chasing Ahmad Arbery and they finally catch up with him. They overtake him and they get out of the truck and he decides for some reason to run around the side of the truck and go right after the guy. Travis McMichael, who was holding a shotgun. To me, the video, that is the only thing that is clear is that he was not trying to get away from these two guys. He went directly into the guy with the shotgun, guessing to try to get the shotgun away from him. Probably not a great thing to do, and it ended up costing him his life. The video of this was from a guy that was following along, allegedly a, a friend of the McMichaels, how much he had to do with this incident. I'm not really sure. But people watching the video, they're like, well, this is a clear lynching. That's not what the video shows. The video shows a very small snippet of a much larger event. And it really brought more questions to my mind than answers. One is, if these two guys were going off to kill this guy, they wouldn't have called 911 and informed 911 that they were in pursuit. This is raising some questions in Georgia whose laws make it, one, legal to have weapons. Of course, we've got to go after the Second Amendment, but they also make it legal as a citizen to make a citizen's arrest. If you have witnessed a crime and there's also now questions of whether or not they witnessed a crime, whether they saw the guy come out of the house that was under construction or not. So there's a lot of questions about exactly why they went chasing after him 
And I am fine with those questions. We need to find out exactly what was going on there. But this isn't necessarily a black and white case. When you see the video, the only thing I really see is the guy that ended up losing his life running around the pickup truck. The guy with the gun, Travis McMichael, was standing at the front of the pickup truck holding the shotgun. And when Ahmad Arbery went around the passenger side of the truck, when he cleared the front, went right after the guy with the shotgun and ended up getting shot and killed. To consider this a hate crime, you need a lot more information. That's simple. You don't know why these guys went after him. Was it really because they thought he was somebody committing burglaries in the neighborhood? Or were they just out to get him because he was black? We have to have some kind of a bar if people are going to use hate crime to prove that there was racism involved. The father in this case, the Gregory McMichael, he has to have a record here working with the district attorney's office and being a police officer. Is there a history of racism with this guy? Did he have a bunch of run-ins with African-Americans? These are questions that we need asked. It is a case that needs to be looked at. It is not something that the morons on social media are able to make a decision that makes sense to know what happened looking at about 30 seconds of video where half the time the victim and the assailants were off camera. That doesn't tell you anything. It appeared that there were plenty of places Ahmad Arbery could have run to get away from the two white guys with guns. Instead, he went right after them. What would have happened if he would have tried running away and they would have shot him? Well, then it's a clear cut case. What ended up happening is anything but a clear cut case and allowing anybody to be judge and jury of this without the facts, doesn't do anybody any good. The mainstream media lies about everything. Videos can be edited to look like anything. So it's a dangerous precedent, once again, that we're setting. If Ahmad Arbery was just a kid out on a jog, I hope his family gets justice. I really do. But it needs to be investigated and the story as of the way it sits right now, like most things in the media, I have more questions after seeing the coverage than I'm getting answers. Again, the media is pushing a narrative. You have to ask yourself the question, why does it seem like we see so much coverage of crimes that involve white guys killing black guys? Why that seems to be the thing? You don't really see it the other way around because that doesn't fit the narrative. But we know it's happening. We know it's happening. And we all know that being one race or another doesn't make anybody predisposed to be good or predisposed to be bad. But if we look at these statistics, if we look at the reality of the world that we live in, the Bureau of Justice Statistics released the 2018 survey of criminal victimization. During that year period, there were 593,598 interracial violent victimizations. 
So all crimes, excluding homicides, that were felonies, basically. They looked at which cases were a black aggressor and a white victim, and when there was a white aggressor and a black victim. Out of those 593,598 incidents, 537,204 of those, or 90%, were committed with a black assailant. Whites committed 56,394 of them, or less than 10%. The data shows that the ratio is becoming more skewed over Trump's presidency, despite the Democratic claim that Trump is inspiring a whole bunch of racist white guys to go out and do bad things. The report also mentions that blacks are overrepresented among perpetrators of hate crimes by 50%, according to the most recent data from 2017, and whites underrepresented by 24%. And they said this is particularly true for anti-gay and anti-Semitic hate crimes. So if you're going to have hate crimes, you do have to go both ways with it. As much as the media wants to seem to ignore the fact that it exists, there are black people that commit hate crimes. There are white people that commit hate crimes. I'm sure everybody has to understand that even though the media is hiding that information from you. But like anything else, this case is one that needs to be looked at the Ahmad Arbery case, and I do. I hope justice is served and that the truth will prevail no matter what that truth may be. Speaking of truth, that takes us right into Obamagate, as Trump is calling it using the hashtag and seemingly having a little bit of fun with this because turnabout is fair play. We all know that. As Obamagate takes form, it is seemingly quite possible that Barack Obama was behind or at the very least informed of the efforts to take down Trump and General Flynn by the FBI with all this Russian conspiracy nonsense and everything that we had to deal with impeachment for years. And if that is true, that is truly a bombshell, something the media likes to drop that word a lot when it came to all of this Russian collusion bullcrap and President Donald Trump, the real bombshell may be the fact that it was all a bunch of garbage and that the whole plan was initiated by President Barack Obama and officials within his Justice Department and the FBI. You can tell the media's reaction to this. You can tell just how much their bias can show when you look at the coverage of the General Flynn story when it broke, Bill O'Reilly did the homework for me on this one and got the stats. When the story broke, he said ABC News on that Thursday night gave the story a minute and 45 seconds. NBC News on their nightly newscast gave it two minutes and 18 seconds. And CBS was the winner, giving it two minutes and 58 seconds. He said he would have given it at least four to five minutes and probably had a short interview somewhere in there. But overall, the normal news networks 
pretty much glossed over the story because, again, it didn't fit with their narrative. But these were just the short nightly newscasts. What about the cable news? I mean, all they do is news all day, all night. They must have given this a lot of coverage because this was big news. It is big news. It's, again, another story that is bringing up way more questions so far than we have answers to. But in prime time, between that 7 and 11 p.m. slot that the networks all like to get your eyeballs during, CNN, over that four-hour period, gave it two minutes and 47 seconds. That's right. CBS, in a half-hour newscast, gave it two minutes and 58 seconds. CNN, over four hours, gave it two minutes in 47 seconds. If that doesn't tell you what CNN is, you're not paying attention. CNN is no longer a journalistic effort. They are no longer a journalistic network. They are nothing but the anti-Trump activists. This proves it yet again. MSNBC gave it a half hour over four hours. Which, I mean, wasn't a whole lot when you look at four hours. That's one half hour. That's one eighth of the time. Compared to the two minutes and 47 seconds CNN gave it, MSNBC is almost looking like they want to do some journalism. Fox News gave it 90 minutes of the four hours, which is why Fox News does pretty well in the ratings while the others still seem to be slipping down further and further and further. I mean, the fact that they don't want to cover this story can't have anything to do with Flynn's lawyer, Sidney Powell, saying he believes this goes all the way to the top to Barack Obama. No, that can't be it at all. But ask yourself the question, if this was something implicating Trump right now that a lawyer said, well, we think this goes all the way to the White House, you don't think they'd be covering all four hours on CNN? And MSNBC, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And if this does go all the way up to Barack Obama, as Dan Bongino, who is, I mean, I get it. He's a conservative commentator, but he has an interesting view on things. Being a former Secret Service agent that worked for the Clintons, he said if this becomes fact, if this is uncovered that Obama was involved with this, Obama's going to go down as one of the most corrupt presidents in the history of the United States. Again, I don't know if it's true or not, but we have questions that need to be answered. And if this one is answered, that he was behind this in any way, shape or form. Wow. This is not going to be a good thing for the legacy of Barack Hussein Obama. And we compare this, what we were just talking about with social media, with Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, being able to take idiots like me off and like you taking your messages and deleting them and not letting you post. Imagine a world, you think that's unfair. Imagine a world where the FBI, the most powerful organization of law in the world, intentionally went after generals and a sitting president. Let that sink in for a minute and tell me how much news coverage you think this story should be getting. But we have the coronavirus, and of course, that is the big story and probably 
rightfully so. And we're getting to the point in the United States where the question is becoming, when do we open up? How do we open up? When can sports get back to normal? We're back to testing, testing, testing for answers. And there's a lot more questions here as with everything else. To put things into perspective again, I think it's important to understand, like here in the state of Illinois, we have 13 million people. Granted, a lot of those are in the Chicago area. The further you go into more rural Illinois, very little problem with the coronavirus. But overall in Illinois, to make the stats nice and easy, 13 million people, 83,000 that have tested positive, and we know that's not everybody that's had it. And 3,601 deaths, that's a number that's set in stone right now. Some people may speculate that that number is being inflated, and that is possibly the case because we've heard doctors say they're being kind of pushed to put COVID on the death certificates for anybody that had COVID in their system. Again, you get shot in the head and you die. Well, did he have COVID? Okay, yeah, so that'll be that'll be the cause of death right there. The bullet in the brain? Not so much. It's Chicago. It happens a lot, believe me. But the 3,601 deaths, maybe it's high, maybe it's low. We don't know, but there have been some tests done. One we may have talked about here on the show, because Major League Baseball offered up their front office people and said, well, test us. We can do an antibody test, see how many people have been infected and how many people haven't. Out of the MLB testing, and this again was everybody from the front office, various people from within the organizations from all around the United States, the results of the MLB testing was 0.7% showed they had been infected. They had the antibodies, and that seemed like a pretty low number to me for something that is a horrible, horrible contagion. Well, here in Illinois, when you do the math, 13 million people that are living here, 83,000 positive, that is 0.64% of the population. So those two numbers are fairly close. I mean, we believe a lot more people have had it because we know a lot of people that get this disease. At least this is the medical wisdom that is going out is that a lot of people get this and have very little symptoms, if at all. So it's really hard to know how many people have it. But with that death rate in Illinois, that's 3,601 deaths, 13 million people. That's 0.03% of the population has perished due to COVID-19, and about half of those in the state of Illinois, which is about what it's going to be around the country, at least so far, this is what it seems, in nursing homes. I believe I saw in Pennsylvania, they believe that number may be as high as 70% of the deaths from nursing homes. So it's pretty clear where the main people that are at risk are in the age range and in the Uh, comorbidity range and having other medical issues and things like that. But you have to do the math to still put this in perspective. Is it a really bad disease? Yes, there's no doubt about it. It's more severe than a flu. We don't know exactly what the numbers should be. 
what the numbers would be if we didn't lock down. But that is the current question right now. I made a post on Twitter earlier today that said the nation's pretty much divided. We have about half the population that is screaming, get us out of lockdown and get us back to work. And the other half is saying, no, it's not safe. We shouldn't be doing that. We should remain under lockdown. So basically, you have the people saying, get back to work. That's not that bad. And you have people saying it is bad. We shouldn't be going back to work. We shouldn't be opening restaurants. We shouldn't be having Major League Baseball or any of that kind of stuff. And which one of those is right? I don't know. But there seems to be only one way to find out. And it's a very Russian roulette kind of thing, because the only way to find out if you're going to have a surge when opening back up is to open back up. It's the only way to get the data. And I think we have to try that. I think you have to try at least some things, try to get back to normal. And if there's another surge, then you know what? All those people that said it's horrible, it's bad, we shouldn't be going back to work, we shouldn't be opening anything, they're going to be proven right. And it's going to happen within a few weeks. Will people die? Yes. But if there is no surge, then we can continue opening up and getting back to life. And I think everybody hopes. Well, no, I don't think everybody hopes. I think. Sane people hope that we can start opening up, understanding that there is a virus still out there, taking preventative measures, whatever they may be, to try to get the economy going, to get people back to work, to get life getting back to normal. That's what sane people want. Anybody that hates Donald Trump, though, wants everything to stay locked down. They want the economy to crash. And they want to try to get this to go throughout the election cycle because this is nothing more than a political game to them, as sad as that may be. Trump derangement syndrome is real. Nancy Pelosi, I think, is patient zero because she wants another stimulus. This one, $3 trillion, as she cites the 82,000 deaths and the 33 million people. 33 is the magic number, as we know, if you listen to No Agenda. But 82,000 deaths, 33 million people unemployed. So Nancy wants another $3 trillion stimulus bill. I mean, I don't know how we're going to pay for it, but we could just keep printing money. Nothing to worry about here. But again, let's look at, we looked at Illinois. Let's look at the United States of America and how many people we have in the United States of America when you take people that we know are here, which includes people here illegally and don't really care what side of the aisle you're on there. We just know that there's about a total of 344 million people that are residing in the United States. So you take that and you have 82,000 deaths or 82,000 deaths, a tragedy. Yes, they are. But with that said, we need to understand the statistics. Everything you do in your daily life comes down to statistics. If every time you got in a car and drove down a highway, there was a 50% chance you were going to get in an accident and be fatally injured, would you get on the highway? No. But that's not what the statistics are. So people take chances each and every day, leaving their house and doing things that just seem normal. And let's be honest, flying in an airplane wasn't really normal 100 years ago. Now it is. Statistics make a difference. 
and you look at those numbers, 344 million people in the United States. So you take that 82,000 deaths, and I understand that number might be inflated. I understand that number may be a little bit low, but that's the number we have right now. And that number comes down to 238 people per million have died in the United States due to the coronavirus, or at least being put down on their death certificates that they died because of the coronavirus. That is one in 4,000 people. And really, I get it. I don't want it to be me. I don't want it to be you. I don't want it to be your mother, father, grandfather, whatever. But the statistics have to matter. 82,000 deaths is horrible in the United States. But let's just take a quick look again, only for perspective at this point, to put this COVID thing into a bit of a prism that we can understand what's going on. The average year, influenza and pneumonia, 55,672 deaths in the United States. So this is a little bit higher than that already. Yes. And we know it's still going on. Yes. But we can also have people that are going to make the case that a lot of those pneumonia deaths out of that 55,000 or so that happened every year, a lot of those were going to happen anyway, whether it was COVID, flu, whatever was happening. But that is an argument for a completely different time and episode. Diabetes every year in the United States claims 83,564 lives. So we're close now to diabetes. Do we shut down the world for diabetes? I mean, I know New York tried to make it where people couldn't buy sugary drinks in more than like four ounce cups or something like crazy like that. But again, we have freedom in the United States that we get to decide, you know, is diabetes really all that important? I mean, hey, if I would rather eat 44 cookies and drink 33 ounces of a sugary drink each and every day until I die of diabetes, I have that right. And so far, that's about the most equivalent as we sit right now, yearly deaths, diabetes, 83,000. Now, the coronavirus can go way up because it hasn't been a whole year yet. So let's keep going up the list a little bit. Alzheimer's disease claims 121,404 people a year. Strokes claim 146,383 people per year. Are you worried about dying of a stroke? Because it would seem that that, even if this plays out to where we almost double the deaths that we have today for the year, you're most likely you're gonna, about the same chance that you're going to die of a stroke that you are of the COVID. Which one are you more afraid of and why? Because it seems like the chances are about the same. A chronic lower respiratory disease in a normal year takes 160,000 people. Accidents, which unintentional injuries, driving, falling off a ladder, 169,936 people over double, again, what COVID is sitting right now, and cancer, 599,108 people die every year in the United States of cancer. Heart disease, 647,457 die each and every year. I don't think COVID's going to get anywhere close to those. Are you worried about dying of cancer this year 
of heart disease, of stroke. If not, ask yourself why you're so afraid of COVID. For most people, it's not a big deal. For those that it is a big deal, yes, we need to continue to protect them. My parents are getting up in age and tell them, hey, you can't leave the house right now. You just got to be safe. Do what you can. I know it's a horrible thing, but until you have a little more information that you should be hunkering down and doing what you can to protect yourself. And everybody has to make that decision whether they want to do that or not. My parents have friends and the one guy also up around the 70 age range uh, said, you got to die sometime. I'm not going to stop living is still going out and doing things. And you still have the right to do that. I mean, we can, again, make a case that, well, you might be infecting other people and all that, but that's a whole nother side of the coin. And it's something that people are using to try to control what people are doing. And we still just need a whole lot more data and we need to open up somewhat in a controlled way. That seems to make sense to me. Logically, start opening up. If all of a sudden the hospitals go, hey, wait a minute, we had 100 people last week and we've got a thousand this week, then something probably needs to be done once again, at least to educate people of the risks of the disease. But without doing that, if everybody just continues hiding in their house and it's possible that a vaccine never comes, it's possible we have a vaccine in a few months. I don't know. This is more data we don't have. But if a vaccine never comes and the virus continues to be out there, we're just putting things on pause. And when we go back to anything, the disease is going to ravage through us again. So the question is, is being on pause better or worse than just letting this thing take its course, get herd immunity, and unfortunately, a lot of people would die, but then the world could continue to move on. It's happened before. We've had things like this when we didn't have the communications that we do now to be able to communicate instantaneously worldwide. We didn't have the medical science. We didn't have the hospitals that we have now and the medical professionals that are taking something that could, I'm sure, be way, way worse than it is and making it somewhat manageable. Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci had a little bit of a moment the other day where Rand Paul said, you know, hey, respect what you're doing and everything, but you're not the end all here. Quote, he said, the history of this will be wrong prediction after wrong prediction after wrong prediction. As much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. And Senator Rand Paul is absolutely right. We've seen models go from millions dead to, well, maybe 100,000 or two. Those are vastly different numbers. And of course, people are then going to say, well, you know, it's because we all hunkered in place. We don't know that. We need more data. We need more information. The tests are not accurate either. This is another big question. You're starting to see stories of people that go get a test and it says, oh, well, you're either infected or not. They go and get another test. Well, now you're infected or not, whichever the other one wasn't. You get a third and that's different. We don't really know the error rate on these tests for positive COVID or for the antibodies. And that is also a really, really big problem. 20% allegedly of New York City residents 
were shown to be infected with the virus. And it's one of the worst hit places. We've seen this number a bunch of times, and I keep asking that question over and over again that nobody seems to have an answer to. When you look at the Diamond Princess, the first cruise ship that was known to have COVID on board was 17% of the people on board got the disease. The Navy ships were somewhere between like 12 and 15%. They tested people that lived with people with COVID in a Chinese city, and it was 15 to 17%. The Germantown that they said was at the epicenter was in that same range, about 17%. So it's interesting. The areas that are the most widely hit get about a somewhere in that 15 to 25% infected rate. And I still want to know why those other three quarters of the population or so are not being infected. Maybe we just don't know. But again, Major League Baseball, random sampling of people around the United States that work for Major League Baseball. So, I mean, again, you can make cases that this may be they're in a different economic group or whatever it is. But that particular group, 0.7% only infected with the virus. Speaking of Major League Baseball, that is one of the things on the docket as well. Major League Baseball are talking about opening up, but it is anything but set in stone. The owners have a proposal, and it's a question now whether the players are going to accept it or not. And it's not just for safety concerns, it's also about monetary concerns. And we have Asshat. And I say that in the most meaningful way and not trying to be rude at all to the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, who, of course, had to get his say in on this whole subject because the MLB owners, they have a proposal, 82 game season, which is half the normal amount of games, universal DH, because there is going to be no American and National League in this particular season. So a DH on every team. 14 teams go to the playoffs, and the part that is having an issue with the players is a 50-50 revenue split. So basically, the owners are saying, you know, we're not going to make money because we're not going to have fans coming in. We're not going to be able to sell them $20 to $50 parking. We're not going to be able to sell them them $10 hot dogs or the $6 sodas. I mean, wait, the five or six dollar bottle of water the last time I was at U.S. Cellular Field. We're not going to be able to soak the people on the concessions. So we're going to need you to take less money. I mean, we know you have contracts, but we're going to need you to take less money because, you know, coronavirus. Uh, J.B. Pritzker said, quote, I realize that the players have the right to haggle over their salaries, but we do live in a moment where the people of Illinois the people of the United States deserve to get their pastime back to watch anyway on television. And, you know, okay, I get that to a certain extent, but these guys are going to be out there taking some risks because, I mean, COVID is still out there. And you're asking them to do a job where they could possibly get hurt when a lot of these guys don't have contracts for next year. And you're asking them to make concessions. And it's the 50 50 revenue split that kind of got under my skin, but it's MLB and they suck at so many things lately that why are the teams looking to make money? I understand if the teams came out and said, look, we need to pay our front office people. We still have employees. 
and we want them to be taken care of. And we understand that we're going to be losing the gate. If we don't have people coming into the stands, we're going to be losing concessions, but I don't see why the owner should take half and the players should take half because the players are taking all of the risk. They're the ones providing the entertainment. And I think the players probably should negotiate this at some rate, but it's got to be something that the players get compensated fairly. And the players are worried that this is just going to bring a salary cap into Major League Baseball. And this is going to cause some issues. I think we're anything but close to baseball starting back up. Uh, ex-Yankee great Mark Teixeira said, well, I'd rather play for pennies than lose a season of my career. And that's easy to say when you're an ex-Major League player, Mark. But for the guys that are out there doing this, taking the chances, possibly getting injured, ruining the rest of their career, if the money is going to be an issue, I can see a lot of these people wanting to sit down for maybe what you would consider to be stupid reasons and greedy reasons, but there are also players, I think, that are going to say, you know what, as long as this virus is still out there, I would rather not become infected, you know, than bring this to my family and kids. I'd rather sit at home and not have to go out and do my job. And a lot of these guys have that opportunity because they've made millions of dollars. So this definitely puts them into the stratosphere. Of course, there's a bunch of Major League Baseball players who are living paycheck to paycheck, even though they're making millions of dollars a year. So I guess it all depends on how good they were at preparing for this. But Major League Baseball has some things to work out here, as do the other sports on how they're going to move forward with this plan, because this plan would have them playing in their own stadiums. The Los Angeles County, where, of course, the Dodgers and the Angels play We're just told they're going to be sheltering in place until the end of July. So this is going to throw some monkey wrenches into this whole ordeal. And this is going to really bring to a head something we knew was coming shortly in baseball. And that was going to be the players and the owners going head to head again for another bargaining agreement. This time, COVID changes everything. And whether that will be good or not, it seems like everything else we've been talking about today. We just won't know until the whole thing shakes out. And let's end on at least a somewhat fun note, and that will be about the most idiotic article I've seen on coronavirus since the start of coronavirus. And this came from the New York Post and columnist Hannah Sparks, who did like my tweet. I'll give her that. When I ripped, well, I didn't rip. I just pointed out that I thought it was the most idiotic thing I've ever seen. And it was an article about a woman who's making masks and selling them for like 30 bucks a piece online, because this is what we do in idiotic coronavirus times where she had a hole in the mask. So you could drink your cocktails, put a straw through the mask. And, you know, the end of the article pointed out, it was probably not going to be protecting anybody but it's like i think maybe one you should lead with that two why you would give anybody's business a bump that is doing something so ludicrous and so dangerous for a various reasons one would be if there's a hole in the mask you may as well just not wear a mask it takes the concept of a mask 
And some people think you don't even need to wear them, and that's fine. You can have that discussion. But if you're going to sell somebody a product and be like, well, this is safe. You can have a mask and still drink your mojito. Bullcrap. Not the accurate depiction of what's going on here. And it's really sad that this is the kind of stuff that makes the newspapers, that makes the news. And it isn't an article that is just making fun of this person and saying how dangerous this is. Instead, it was a little cutesy. Ha ha. Isn't this ingenious? No, no, it's not. The other problem with the little hole in the mask is as you exhale, your droplets that might be carrying coronavirus will go through that hole rather than be stopped by the mask. And having a little hole, it's kind of like a funnel. If you ever blew into a funnel, you know the air that comes out, the small end is going to be more forceful. It's just the way physics work. So if somebody actually has coronavirus, one of these idiotic, I need a straw through my mask masks could actually cause somebody else to be infected more easily. So yay, again, mainstream media for being the most worthless bunch of twits on the planet. I know you work hard at it, so I wanted to acknowledge it. And poor Hannah Sparks, I know she dreams of being a journalist one day, I'm sure, and probably not. I think she just covers the cutesy little stories. And unfortunately, any cutesy little stories at the time of coronavirus that deal with protective equipment just shouldn't be anywhere, nonetheless, in a publication like the New York Post. But I mean, hey, you could just kind of look at everything else in the Post and rate how well you think their journalism is based upon that. That seems fair. But all right, I think I've bloviated enough for one episode. Is this by far is the longest running episode of Random Thoughts? And I hope you like the content that we've been providing. I have greatly appreciated the comments I have gotten from people on Twitter, emails, things like that. Knowing people are listening, knowing people are enjoying it makes this whole thing a whole lot more worthwhile. I mean, really, otherwise, I'm just talking to myself and I don't have to record that. I know how crazy I am and I have to hear my rants 24-7, but I appreciate those of you who have plenty of other entertainment options for giving us the time, giving us your ears, and giving us your support. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, you can go to randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com, and click one of those subscribe buttons. You can do it on Apple, Android, even an email, so you can be totally off the grid, well, except until you have to check your email and never miss an episode of the Random Thoughts podcast. If you really like what you're getting here on the Random Thoughts podcast, we do work on the value for value model, which means we put the podcasts out there into the world. You can have them for free. And only if you get something out of them, do you need to send some of that value back our way in terms of anything, whether it's comments, in this case, donations, which you can go to randomthoughts.com and click one of those little donate buttons. We have a P.O. box address and we do also accept Bitcoin. For this episode, we do have two people to thank. The first is a $25 anonymous donation from a nice lady who said, I remind her a lot of the late, great Paul Harvey, and that is definitely a compliment. And the other is one of our monthly donors, Keith Von Dyke. Thank you for your donations to the Random Thoughts podcast to help us keep the lights on and the microphones humming 
and all of that other good stuff. If you would like to reach out to me, you can do so via email at Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, at randomthoughts.com, or you can follow me on Twitter, either at the Random Thoughts account, which is Random, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, podcast, or my personal account, Darren O'Neill, D-A-R-R-E-N-O-N-E-I-L-L. Thanks for sticking with us through this lengthy episode. Until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thank you for listening.